couple of weeks ago, I challenged us as a church that as we went through this summer, that we would do 5,000 acts of kindness. And uh, we gave people different opportunities uh, to be able to let us know about that, whether it was uh, texting, Facebook. You can write them on your little card, and we have a, a kindness table that you can go to, and uh, it's right back there in the back, and you can get anything there. And uh, many of you have stepped out and done that in amazing ways. I've seen so many of the stories, uh, which are really great. Um, but so far, of the things that you've done, we've only received uh, information from you of 253 acts, okay? So what that tells me is I know we've done more than that, but you're not responding by sending us what that is. So all of you with a cell phone, and we will pat you down. We have police officers if you don't pull it out. We want you to pull out your cell phone real quick. Pull out your cell phone real quick. This is what I did. Week one, I wasn't doing so well, and so this is what I did. Pull out your cell phone. Go to your contact list. Go to your contact list. You have contacts in there that you haven't looked at in 10 years, so you can delete some of them, all right? And what I want you to put is summer of kindness, okay? You're going to put it up there, summer of kindness. That's what I did. And then you're going to put this number as that contact, 765. Two seven three. I feel like a marathon phonathon. Three three zero three. Okay. Seven six five. It's on the screen there. Seven six five two seven three 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 zero three. And what will help is then when you do an act, you click it and you send it immediately, right when you first get it. Last night, cool story. I go to Walmart. And the lady behind me has a shower curtain. And I feel this prompting. God, may this shower curtain not be more than 20 bucks. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I had this prompting that I should buy this shower curtain. And I just said, uh, put that on there too. And it was like $14.96. And this lady started crying, like weeping. She's like, no one ever does this for me. And then all of a sudden she's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Je I mean, like real, like, whoa, charismatic, which I'm grateful for. But the cash, the re cash register person was like, oh, my gosh, what am I supposed to do? I was like, that's all right. It's a Jesus thing, you know. And, she, <laughs> and here's this lady, you know, and I was like, ah. And you know what I did? I sent it to the text right then in that moment. Um, because if you're like me, I... I, know, I love it when people put things on anything, but for me, I like to do it more in a text. Maybe people don't know. Sometimes I put stuff on Facebook, but, um, but now you have it, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Now, this week, we're challenging everyone to get a Post-it note, and you can get those at the kindness table as well, and go to a public place that has a mirror and put something up. So when I was at Walmart last night, this is what I did. I took it, and uh, I had this quote by Teddy Roosevelt that said, um, comparison is the thief to joy. Think about that for a second. Comparison is the thief of joy. So I read that quote, and then this is what I put up. You can switch it back. This is what I put up. Don't compare yourself to anyone. God loves you just the way you are. Put a free card up there and put it up on the mirror. Now, did that cost me anything? A little bit of time, 
That was it. But do you think someone who walks into Walmart to go use the restroom and then they go look at that, do you think they're going to look at that and go, well, that's horrible. Why would anybody do that? I mean, they might, but they're probably shoplifters. You know what I mean? So <laughs> We love shoplifters, too. But that's going to, like, encourage that person, right? So that's all I'm asking you to do. Try that once, and then each day um, this week, do one act of kindness, and then let us know. So I'm going to text right now that I just let 175 people know. To, no, I'm joking. Um, to do that. All right? You with me this week? All right, send them in. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you so much for the many acts of kindness that you do on our behalf each day, both seen and unseen. Help us this week to show your love each day as we blanket our community with your kindness. I pray that each person's mind each day would be filled in this gym, would be filled with what's the one thing I could do today? And even if it's as small as taking the trash can of our neighbor and taking it up to their house so that they don't have to roll it up, that, God, we would think of ways that we could do that. Now, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Change us. Teach us today to listen to you as we make decisions in our life. And we will give you the honor for that so that your name is made great. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are concluding our series on prayer. And this whole uh, series has been based upon the prayers of Paul. And we'll talk about Paul in just a second. But today, uh, what I want us to focus on as we think about prayer is how do you pray and how does prayer work when we have a decision to make? When we have a choice to make, when there is a decision that you have to choose, maybe there's a couple of choices, but you have to do that, um, what do you do? How does prayer help us with that? And I'd like to begin this morning by asking this particular question. How do you know what is best? How do you know what is best? When you're making a decision and you really want to be able to make the best decision, how do you know what is best? Uh, last week, our family uh, went fishing, and we went fishing in Tennessee, and we had a real good time. Now, I'm not a big fisherman. I don't fish all the time. Uh, I have a friend, Jeremy. He fishes all the time, and he puts all these posts up on Facebook about all these fish he catch, and, you know, it's cool, but, uh, you know, for me, that's not really my, that didn't sound very uh, intelligent right there, did it? So, the fish that he caught, okay, um, that, and so he'll, he'll post them, but I, I don't necessarily uh, do that. But I like to fish, and this particular week uh, we went fishing. Now, there's a rumor out there that has started that has said that Chris Bunch doesn't like to bait his own hook. And I want you to know that my wife, who started that rumor, is a total liar. Because I did a week ago, okay? Uh, first time I kind of baited my hook a week ago. I hate to admit that. I just lost my man card, but that's me. And I'm doing it now. Now, so we go fishing. The other thing you know about fishing, not only do you have to bait your hook, but if you go fishing with a group of people and you're in a boat, pretty soon 
it becomes a, a, a kind of a competition of who is going to find the best place to fish. And that's what happened with us. Uh, our family got together, and pretty soon everyone started talking about where in the lake there would be the best place to fish. First, my wife jumps up. She's like, oh, I'll tell you the best place to fish. It's in the shade over there. We've got to get underneath those trees. We'll get in the shade, and we will catch some fish. We go over there. We catch little tiny fish. My dad decides, oh, yeah, you know what we need to do? We need to go by those reeds over there. If we fish into those reeds, boy, that's a good place. And so we go over there, and we fish in that for a little bit. Little tiny fish. My two kids that are fishing, uh, they could care less. They're like, Dad, we just like to cast the, you know, the fishing pole. We could care less. So they're just casting things out, hitting people in the head, you know, getting everything kind of messed up, and you have to spend all this time redoing their stuff. And my mom really didn't say anything. She just sat underneath the canopy, and she said, I don't care where you fish. I'm staying in the shade, and I'm eating, you know. And uh, so that was her. So we finally... Uh, got to one of the last few days. I'm like, there is a spot in the back and there is like, you know, these rocks down there and I've seen fish over there. That's where we need to go. So we go to that place and we cast out and immediately I get a bite and I'm reeling that thing in. I'm reeling it. I'm looking real, you know, manly. The family's like cheering me on. Here it comes. Bunch is going to get it. And the fish goes off the line and I lose the fish. So, I'm like, okay, we're not done yet. I'm persistent. I do it again a second time. It goes out, trying to reel that sucker in again, trying to get it, get it, get it, nothing. Then my wife has this particular advice. Well, you got to yank it like a man. (laughs) I'm like, are you serious, woman? She's like, you got to, you know, and my dad's like, yep, that's what you got to do, you know. (laughs) So... I do that. I roll it out. I yank it like a man two times. It goes off. We get a bite, but it goes off. And I'm thinking, I know what's best. So I roll it out, and I let them take it. And then they go underneath the water, and they go for a little while. And I let the reel go out a little bit. And then I pull it back, and then I start reeling in. And I pulled it in, pulled it in. And this is what we caught, folks. I mean, clap for Jesus. Don't clap for that. But anyways... A two-pound, I mean a 10-pound, I mean a 20-pound tilapia is what we caught right there. And uh, we had a great time. So this is what I'm just telling you. If you want to know what is best when it comes to fishing, I'm your person, okay? Come to me, talk to me. But seriously, when you want to know what is best, how do you go about doing that? Our graduates, for instance, who were here today, many of them are thinking, man, I hope I'm making the right choice of what school I go to, or man, I hope I'm making the right choice of what major I'm going in. If I could just know that, if I would know what is best there, it'd be a great thing. Or perhaps you're making a purchase. Maybe you're buying a television. Maybe you're buying a car. Maybe you're buying a house. And you're getting to that point, you're like, you know, I don't know if I should buy it or not buy it, but man, if I knew what was best, that would help out so much. Or maybe you're getting ready to put something on social media, like Facebook, you're getting ready to post something. And as you're getting ready to post it, you're like, should I post this or shouldn't I post this? And if I knew what was best, that would be so great. 
Now, just by a show of hands, as you're making decisions, whatever it is, would you really, really like to know what is best? Just raise your hand if that's you. You would really like to know what is best. Keep your hands up for a second. Now, I'd like you to turn around to the people that don't have their hands up. Guess what? Don't take their advice. You know why? Because they don't want to know what is best. They really don't. That's why they didn't raise their hand. Now, folks, all of us, whether you raised your hand or you didn't, we really do want to know what is best. And this is the essence of the prayer that we're going to look at today from Paul. Paul, as I've talked to you before, is a guy who wrote close to... Okay, you can get rid of that picture whenever you... Uh, Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament and uh, is considered one of Jesus' closest followers, he writes a letter to a church in Philippi. That's in present-day Greece. So he pens this letter that he had penned uh, to this church that he had started. And do you know where Paul is at when he writes this letter? Anyone want to take a guess? Jail! He's like in prison. He's in the slammer. He's in Rome, and he's writing this letter. And Paul doesn't know how much time he has left. He doesn't know if he's going to be the next person who is going to be executed as a prisoner. All he knows is this, that I'm in Rome and I'm writing to this church that I started in Greece. And he loves this family dearly that he had started with in his home. And he realizes that this might be his last prayer. It might be the last prayer he ever prays. And we read about this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. So after the context, this is what Paul says. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And what are the next two words? Now, what have we been talking about over the last five weeks? So that. And when Paul prays, this is what he does. He says, God, this is what I, so that, and then it's something either for other people or that God's name would be made great. It isn't, I, Paul, pray for this so that I become rich, wealthy, and famous. That's not the way he prays. So that prayers are so that God is lifted up or other lives are touched. Now look at what he says. I want your love to abound more and more. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is what? What is best? Now, the first part of the prayer, Paul prays, I pray that your love would abound more and more. And my question then becomes, what kind of of love is he talking about? Because have you noticed that love has a very, very uh, large array of uh, ways it's defined? For example, uh, if you look at your television channel, you have... Uh, Sprout and Disney on one side. And if you get it, the channel, whatever it is, you can have Playboy and porn on the other. And the thing is, they'll say all of that is love. Now, we also have things like this. Is we use that word. We'll say things like this. I love my mom. Father's Day is coming up next week. I hope all of you invite your dads. hope many of you will come. That you'll say, I love my dad. I love my spouse. I love my kids. I love Kincannon Donuts, you know. Now, 
All of those are a little bit different, though. So what kind of love is Paul talking about here? And the Greek word that he's using in this is the word agape. Agape. And what this word means is it's a type of love that is unconditional. It comes straight from the heart of God. It's sacrificial. It's what is of the best interest of the other person, not expecting anything in return. It's a love that doesn't just want, uh, uh, it's a love that doesn't just give us what we think we want, but it gives us what we need. It's an unconditional love that comes from the, comes straight from the heart of God. And Paul says, I want this love. I want this kind of love to abound and abound more in you. To become so connected, both in knowledge and depth of insight. Here Paul is basically saying, okay, you're going to experience this love and it's going to transform the way that you love. That once you experience the agape love of God, it's going to transform the way that you love other people. It's going to transform the way you think. It's going to transform the things that you do. Now, we know part of this from our own experience of how love can transform us if you're a parent. Not everyone here is a parent, but if you're a parent, you know that once you have a child, that that love transforms you. For example, yesterday, I drove an hour and a half to go watch my nine-year-old play soccer in 95-degree weather, not just for one game, but for two games. Then I had to pack everything up, drive all the way back home, and guess what? After church today, I'm driving back down again to stand in 95-degree weather for a little girl to play soccer. Ten years ago, I didn't even like soccer. Why am I doing that? Because that relationship transformed how I thought about this child. Or if you're single and you're looking for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, uh, a Miss Right, I guess we shouldn't say Mrs. That wouldn't be good, would it? So Mr. Right or Miss Right, all of a sudden, when you find that person, it transforms you. You start to think differently. You act differently. The relationship that you have with that person, it transforms what you do. Now, I'm going to throw up a logo up on the screen. This is a logo that many of you have seen uh, on the side of airplanes. You've seen it on the side of trucks. You've seen it on the side of a box in front uh, of your front door. And what is this? What is this? FedEx. It's the FedEx logo. And let me just mess with your mind a little bit. There is something here that I bet most of you have never seen before. If you look between uh, the E and the X, you'll see a white arrow. Can you see it? Some of you in the back are going to have to squint to see it. Some of you right now are looking at the other person going, uh, what? Okay, let let me help you a little bit. We'll highlight it. Now do you see it? There we go. Now. I have a feeling that over 90% of you, maybe more, had never seen that before in your life looking at it. But boom, I just gave you a little bit of knowledge. That's what I did. I just showed you something that you had never seen, but you got a little bit of knowledge of that. I dropped it on you. 
Actually, I just messed you up, didn't I? Because from now on, every time you see that logo, what's going to happen? Yeah, you're going to look for that. In fact, let's, uh, tur- let's uh, turn it off for a second, if we can. Can you just take it off the screen? Oh, maybe not. Okay, well, just think about it. Think that it left and then it came back. And all of a sudden now you're thinking, let me look for the white arrow, okay? Um, But from now on, you'll always do that. You'll always think about that white arrow that you, uh, each time you see that logo. You'll never see that logo the same way you have before. And it's a silly point, but this is the thing. Once you experience God's love, if you fully receive it, you will never be the same again And the way that you respond to other people and the way that you act and the way that you love, you will never see it the same way again. You see God differently. You see prayer differently. All of a sudden, you start looking at this book and you see it differently. You don't see it as a scary novel that at the end of the book, uh, you're doomed for death. What you see it is is a love letter from God letting you know that he is head over heels in love with you thinking about you all the time. When other people look at situations and all they're like is, oh, see the desperation here? There's no hope for this person. All of a sudden, you look at it and you go, no, I think there's some hope. Actually, I think God's going to move in a huge way in this. Why? Because God's love is abounding in you more and more and more. You're growing more within his love. And because of that, you see the world differently. And this leads us to the big question that I want to ask us this morning, and it's this. How do I know what is best? When I'm going through it, how do I know what is best? And this is leading to a big question, a big idea that we want to talk about today, and it's this. That knowing God is what is knowing best. That if you want to know Uh, The key to knowing what is best is knowing God. The key to knowing best, knowing what's best, is knowing God. Now, I have a feeling that some of you are on the verge of some decisions right now. There's some crazy stuff going on in your life, and you're going to have to make a decision fairly soon. And it will all come down to how well do you know God. Because the key to knowing what is best is knowing God. In fact, let's all say that out loud together. This phrase at the bottom, the big idea. The key to knowing what's best is knowing God. The key to knowing what is best is knowing God. Now, from this statement, there's a logical question that you ask. And the question is, well, how do I know God? Like, how can I know him? Now, there have been volumes and volumes of books, commentaries, uh, millions and billions, maybe, uh, pages that are printed on this. So I, the guy standing up here, is not going to give you any new insight or knowledge, except to say this. To know God is to know that every single human being here, there are as many ways for God to speak on knowing him as there are human beings in the world. He knows people so well that there is a different way that he knows them as the number of people on planet Earth. God is omnipotent. What does that mean? That means that God is all-powerful. He has all power. 
God is omniscient, which is He is all-knowing. He knows everything. God is omnipresent, which means He's always present. He's always with us. And He can express His love in an infinite number of ways. And He provides us with ways to discern what is best. So for the rest of our time, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to share with you a situation in my own life in which I had to make a decision. And I had to discern what was God's best for me. And let me just say this, that just because I'm a preacher boy, it doesn't mean that God came into the sky and he shaped the clouds in such a way that it's like, there's the answer. He didn't have an animal come and speak to me either, okay? Uh, Sometimes people get very weirded out about how he does that. Not that he couldn't do that, but I've never had that done uh, in my life. So here's my situation. About 10 years ago, uh, my wife Jennifer came to me and she asked me this question. Do you ever want to have kids? Now, you might think that is an abrupt question, but actually it's a question that we had talked about and had been broached many times uh, before. Now, up to this point in my life, to be quite honest, I didn't want to have kids. I didn't think about it. I didn't really want that. I had pastored a small church for five years. Then Jennifer went to medical school. Then she went to residency. Then I went to seminary for four years. Then we started this brand new church that met in our house. And 12 years, that's what our relationship had been. And we had so much freedom to go and do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. And I felt like if we had children, it would take away from our ability to be used by God in greater ways. So when Jen asked me the question, do you ever want to have kids? It wasn't the first time. And then she added this on to it. She goes, you know, I'm not getting any younger. She goes, my biological clock is ticking, and if you just want to know, ask my mother. And I didn't want to ask her mother that question. Now, we came to the end of that whole thing, and we had to start asking ourselves the question, what would be best for us, God, as a couple? We're open to whatever you want to do. If you want us to, great. If you don't, that's fine too. But what do you want us to do? Because for some people, God's best is for them to stay single. For other people, God's best may be for them to get married. For some people, God's best may be for them to get married but to never have kids. God's best for other people might be to get married and not to have biological children, but to adopt children or to have foster kids. Or God's best might be to have biological children. So at the point in 2006 when this question came to me, I had no clue. I had no idea what God's best was, but I wanted to know. Because even though there was a lot that I didn't know, the one thing that I did know was this, that if you want to know the best for your life, you got to know God. The more that you know God, the more that you will know the best for your life. So how do you do it? How do you discern God's best for your life? Well, I think there are at least three ways uh, that this comes around uh, to taking place. The first one is through his word. And when I say through his word, it's through the Bible. 
It's when you actually open this up and you read it. It's a wisdom book. In Luke 21, verse 33, it says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Folks, God will never contradict this word. He will never contradict it. He will never say, uh, well, this is the impression or prompting I have, and then it goes directly against his words. For example, should you work hard for your employer even if the employer doesn't treat you well? What do you think God would say? Yes, God will honor that decision when you do that. If someone has wronged you, but then they come back to you and they ask for forgiveness, should you forgive them? Yes, the Bible would say so. Should you fudge on the inventory at work so that you can take a couple of things for yourself? No, the Bible would say you should not do that. Now, why, do God, why does God give some yes and no's? The reason is not to penalize you or to put you down because it is what is best for you. Folks, God speaks clearly through his word. That's why I always want to encourage you to be reading it. If you don't have a Bible, we have some right at the resource table. You can go and get one. If you don't know how to read the Bible, we have a reading plan to help you with this. It doesn't have to be big, long chunks, but just a few verses each day can totally change your life. I uh, was reading on uh, Saturday. One of the verses in Galatians said, do not irritate one another. So then I went in 95 degree weather with this kid and other kids and my wife and she hadn't slept for over 24 hours because she had a shift and I'm trying to be as calm as I can but we finally got to one point and I was just a little bit short and we got done and at the end of the day I had to drive back and I said, well, how did I do today, Jen, on not irritating you? She said about 90%. I thought A minus, hey, that's not too bad, you know what I mean? Um, We'll see how it goes today, I'm not sure. But folks, that's why you want to get in God's Word, because when you get in God's Word, it begins to start telling you some things that maybe you could change in your life and make relationships better and everything else around you better. Again, you can take this to the bank. God will never contradict those words to something that you're doing. For example, he'll never guide you to cheat on your spouse. People will come to me and they've cheated on their spouse and they're getting ready to have a divorce and they'll go, yep, God told me that I was supposed to uh, go, what? God didn't tell you that. He will never guide you to renege on a signed contract. You sign your name to something. You say, I'm going to take care of this. And then all of a sudden you're like, no, God came to me and said, no, don't worry about that. No. He will never guide you to bet on the Chicago Cubs to win the World Series. (laughs) Some of you think this is the year. I'm telling you, eventually it will be done. Go Pirates. Go Pirates. He will never guide you to live beyond your means. I can't tell you how many people that I know that make a lot of money 
I go to their big house and they have the cars and everything. And then six, seven, eight years later, they filed for bankruptcy. Everything's gone. Why? They live beyond their means. He will never guide you to harm your body in any way. And all of the goodness that I just shared, it all is right here in God's Word. So, as I started thinking about whether or not I was going to have children, one day I was reading the Bible, and this is the verse that came. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a real blessing. Now, that doesn't necessarily say to have children or not to have children, but what Scripture tells us that if you have children... They are a gift. They are a real blessing. But it was clear to me that as I read this scripture, that nothing would contradict us from having children, and it actually would be a blessing. It would be a gift to us. And so having children didn't contradict that. And it seemed like it would be the best decision for us. But let me encourage you also, do not just take one verse of scripture and go, That's what I'm changing my whole life on. Have you ever seen that before? Someone picks one verse with four words and they move from their house, they do everything different, and their life crumbles to anything. And why? Because they didn't read before it or after it. Or they didn't read the whole chapter of it. Because it's important that you see the Word of God. So, we do it through His Word. The second way, though, that's important that you need to do as well, is through his whispers. A whisper is a prompting or kind of an impression that favors one course of a decision over another one. You get something in your gut. You feel something. And all of a sudden you're like, ah, this is it. Now some of you might be thinking right now, hey bunch, I'd like to have some whispers come my way. If God would just come and give me a whisper, I'd be open to it. But guess what? He's not talking. He's not saying anything. Well, if you're there, guess what? You're not alone. If you've had a track record of not hearing from heaven so well, you're not alone. Now, growing up, the concept of whispers or promptings or hearing from God is not something that we talk about. In fact, in our culture, if you do that long enough, people are going to say, you're a weirdo, you're a freak, you're a nut. What church do you go to? And you tell them. I go to the bridge, okay? You tell them that. Just joking. Luckily for me, I was raised by a mom and dad that were a nut and a weirdo. They taught us that God spoke to us, that there were promptings, that there were whispers that would come to us. But even though it was taught in my house, I still didn't really believe it. Until the night before seventh grade. Seventh grade was going to happen. And back in my day, you went from elementary school to junior high. Sixth to seventh grade. And when you hit seventh grade, it was a whole new reality. You got a locker that you had to be responsible with combinations that you turned one way and the next way. You had to make sure that all your books were in there. You had to be responsible for bringing each book to each class. You had seven different classes, and they only gave you like two seconds to get to each one of them, right? And all of a sudden, all this stress I know is coming. And now I have seven different teachers with seven different expectations, and i got to deal with all of that. And I was scared to death. 
So the night before, my first day of seventh grade, I just broke down to my mom. Now, typically, my mom is a warm, loving, caring, a wonderful woman who cares for that and says, it'll be okay, honey. And this is what she said to me, though. Well, have you talked to God about this yet? And then I'll never forget. I looked at her and I said, he doesn't talk to me. And I thought that woman was going to come up and slap me upside my head. She said, boy, don't you say that. Maybe it's that he's talking. You're just not listening. So this is what we did. We took out a piece of paper. She had me write down every worry that I had about going into seventh grade. We put it into a Bible. We left it there. And then she said, we're giving it to God. You don't have to take it very far. You don't have to take it anymore. Well, I walked to my bedroom to go to sleep. And guess what? I picked that sucker back up and I took all of the worry from that. And then I remember that night just kind of looking up at my bed and going, all right, God, I guess I'll give it a chance. Could you please whisper to me anything? And this is what I sense. Chris, don't worry. I will be with you every step you take tomorrow. And he was. Every single And it was such a defining moment for my faith because it was that first time where, yeah, this is true. This makes so much sense. And as I stand here today, many years later, this is what I believe to my toes, is that God is still speaking today. He's longing to speak to you in promptings and images. And maybe even audibly He would speak to you. He's longing to do that. But are we listening? I've had unmistakable impressions. I've had thoughts that come to me in the middle of the day where I'm just going through my day and all of a sudden I get a thought and I'm like, where's that come from? And then all of a sudden I test it, I try it, and pretty soon it's God's challenging me in a direction. And as I tried to teach you from the very beginning when we started the jar, that if you get a prompting, you get a whisper, test it, try it, see if this is from God. Now, a scripture that's been very helpful for me when it comes to whispers and making a key decision is in Romans 8, verse 6, and it says this, the mind controlled by the Spirit leads to, and what's the next two words? What is it? Life and peace. And What that means is that when you have energy coming, when you're at peace with things, and you're like, yeah, I think this might be God's best for me, then test it, try it. Maybe that is his direction. Now back to my decision on whether or not to have children. In my spirit, I had been praying, I'd been reading the Bible, I'd been journaling different things, and one day I was in my prayer time, and I got this prompting, not audibly, but just in my spirit. It's time. It's time. And I thought to myself, well, what does that mean? Like, it's time to eat, it's time to sleep, it's time to go golfing. Like, what does it's time mean? And I turned to Scripture, and Scripture came to me. It was so clear in Ecclesiastes 3.1. It said this, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And I discerned that, and I was like, this is the time that we are to have kids. We'd been married 12 years. And that was the time. And folks, regardless of the prompting or whisper that you get, test it. 
Try it. See if it's God or you just had some bad burritos the night before. You know what I mean? Because sometimes it's hard to figure this out. But test it. Try it. See what it would look like. But I'm telling you, if you are at peace and you have life and you're okay with it, that might be exactly what God wants you to do. But if you're anxious and worried and overwhelmed, that's maybe not it. At least not at that time. Folks, I can't force you to do this, but I would challenge you to do the life and peace test to see what direction God would have you to go. So, we discern His best through His Word, through His whispers, and finally, through wise people. Here's a double dose on this, kind of rapid-fire style, from Proverbs. Proverbs is like the wisdom book, great book to read. In Proverbs 11:14, it says this, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. Proverbs 15:22, Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with what? What's it say? But with many advisors, they succeed. There are tons of Proverbs like this throughout that book that tells us that having wisdom from other people is so important when you come to a critical crossroad. Proverbs assumes that there are these advisors, but they're not just any advisors. You don't need Uncle Larry from down in Kentucky who hadn't been with God in the last 25 years, but who always agrees with you going, yep, I think you ought to leave her. That's what I think. He's not a wise person. You need a wise, godly, mature person. And this is what I was thinking. And it's a big word, I know it is, but I never, and I thought about it, I never make a critical, major decision in my life without having some people around me who know God, who love God, who know me and love me as well. I never do that. In the first year, thank you, in the first year of the jar, uh, I wasn't like this. In the second year, I wasn't. In the early years, I wasn't. I made unilateral decisions. I thought this is what was best, and we should just do this. And when you're a leader, folks, this is the problem. And you make a decision and you get it wrong. It's not just you that you affect, but you affect everyone else around you. And I made that mistake. And finally, after a few of those and seeing the pain that I had caused to different people, I said, that's it, God. I get it now. I cannot do things unilaterally. When I have to make a major decision, I want some of the wisest people around me to help me to do that best. So when the decision came to us on whether or not to have children, Jennifer and I talked with some wise friends. There was a couple who had three children, different ages, had gone through uh, many of the stages of children. And they were two of the, they, they are, they still are, two of the best parents that I know, and they do great with their parenting skills. And so we met with them, we had dinner, we talked back and forth, and then after that, We just asked them, do you think this is part of God's will for us? And they said, we don't know if it's exactly his will. You'll have to discern that. But we think you guys, from everything that you told us, you are making the wise decisions that you will be great parents. And then the the wife, I'll never forget, she goes, you're going to make beautiful babies and smart kids. And I thought to myself, you know what? Jen is so smart. 
there's going to be these smart kids, and they're going to have my looks. You know what I mean? Like, that's where the beauty will come. And then all of a sudden I thought, what if I have a girl, though? You don't want a girl looking like this ugly dope, you know? And so I just prayed that they'd look for both of them, and they have. Now, we also went to a Christian counselor. Check this out. We paid somebody for three months. We only met three times, but we paid to have them give some insight to us. And they had this list of all the pros and the cons, what the joys of this would look like, what the challenges would be, how much time we would have and not have once we had kids. But after this time, we felt really encouraged that we were taking the right steps. We asked some other people, is there any red flag that you see that would take away? And they're like, no. And so we had our first daughter, Jordan. And two years later, we had this prompting again that maybe we should have a second child. Now, this is what happens with people sometimes when they have children. They have the first one, then they're like, well, let's just keep going. And then all of a sudden, it's like two, three, four, five. They never ask God into any of that. Not that the children aren't a gift, but you're going to have some struggles with that gift, you know? And so you need to know. And so we did the same process through his word, whispers, wise counsel, and we had a second daughter in Shiloh. And boy, was that a step of faith, you know? Uh, she, she has been a gift to us, and we're grateful for it. And we just asked these people to do this for us. And we've been so blessed. And I can't imagine my life without those two girls and what joy they have given to me. Now ask me in 10 years if I feel the same way, okay? And remind me of that picture. I realize that some of you parented longer than me. So. Folks, if you are at a decision point in your life, this is what you need to do. You need to open up His Word. You need to be able to listen to the whispers and test them. And then finally, you really do. You really do. You need to get some wise people around you to help you with that. And if you don't have some wise, godly people right now, join a small group. Get in a small group and say, hey, I'm going to do this. Give it six months. See if that doesn't help you. Or get in to celebrate recovery. Every Thursday night, we had 24 people this last Thursday night that said, hey, I don't want to do life alone. I want to do it in community. And their lives are changing. They're getting better. They're making wiser decisions. This is what I know. That if you want to make the best decisions, you have to know God. And the way you know Him is through His Word, through His whispers, and through wise people. And then you pray and you pray, and you pray, and you listen, and you listen. So much of prayer is listening. Just take time to listen to him, and he'll help you on the best decision to make. You know, Paul, after he started this church, he writes back to them, and he wants to pray for them, and that's what I'd like to do right now. So if you would, let's stand for closing prayer. Now, I am not naive enough to realize that there are not some people right now that you are at a crossroad, a critical crossroad of making a decision. 
And uh, if you would, the lights are down now. No one's looking. But if you're at a place where you're like, you know what? I could really know what is best. I really want to know what is best for me. If you're at one of those decision points, would you just raise your hand just for a second? You don't have to look around. Just raise your hand. Several hands going up. Well, this is what I want to do. I want to pray specifically for you right now. So you can put your hand down. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray right now for each person who raised their hand. For each person that's at a crossroad and they're wanting to know and discern what your best is, God. I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, would you move and direct them through your word, through whispers, through wise people around them, God, would you speak to them and let them know what is the best decision. Not necessarily what they think is the best decision, but God, would you come supernaturally and would you let them know that this is what is best for you from me. That it's your will that we want, God. And I pray that you would do that. And maybe today you're there and honestly the decision for you is whether or not to choose God. You don't know God right now. Maybe you've been doing the church thing, but honestly you don't know him, but he knows you and he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. In fact, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to go to a cross and die upon it so that all of your sins would be wiped away. And you can have that assurance today. Maybe you've been going through your life and you think, I know what's best. I know what's best. And honestly, if you looked at your track record, it hasn't been that good. And so maybe today would be the day where you're like, you know what? I don't want to go my way, God, anymore. I want to go your way. And so if that's you, I invite you to just pray a prayer after me. And it's a prayer I want to challenge all of us to pray today. And if you pray that prayer for the first time, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up and they'd love to pray with you uh, and give you a Bible and welcome you into the family of God. And so here's the prayer. Just repeat after me, but it's your prayer. Heavenly Father, take all of my life. Make me new. Jesus, save me from my sins. I believe you died for me and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, follow you for the rest of my life. I believe you know what is best. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give a hand for everyone who said that prayer for the first time. Hey, and if you did come up here uh, to either of these folks, I'd love to give you a Bible and get you started. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place.